With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. This is John Middlecoff from 3 and Out with John Middlecoff. Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Volume. Darwin. The nerves is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Breber and alongside me is Logan Canton. And we are back already because there's only one basketball series going on right now. So we're going to start things off talking about Heat Celtics, what we just saw in game four. Later, we're going to talk a little bit of this LeBron retirement storyline that has started to develop but let's start with Boston actually going out there and winning a game Logan good for them they stay alive what did you take away from this performance by the Celtics I was just thankful that Boston finally showed some fight Carson I mean it took getting your ass kicked for three games for you to finally wake up and get back in this thing but the Celtics fought tonight man even when they were getting down in the third quarter and I was really critical of Joe Mazzulla I think it was probably overcritical with the adjustments that I think that Missoula could make, but I think he made a great point in the presser and something that I pointed out last show too. It is on the coach to get these guys in the right mental state to be prepared to go out there and play hard. That is a real thing in basketball, and the Celtics looked like they came to fight, they came to battle, and they were they were headstrong tonight, man. They didn't let anything really put them down. They kept coming, and you saw it in the Celtics' defense, man. It was so much better tonight. Uh, they've, you noticed this on last show, I think this is the biggest stain on the Celtics' resume so far in these playoffs, a defensive rating of 113.5, that's 10 of 16 uh, of the playoff teams, that's three points worse than the regular season, and this is a team that is built on their defensive identity, Carson, that is how a lot of great teams They play great on the defensive end. It leads to easy offense. I think back to a team like the 2020 Lakers in the bubble, right? Not a great half-court offense, but a team that if they lock up on that end will turn defense into offense very easily. And we saw a lot of that tonight. Uh, 15 turnovers were forced. They were so much more engaged in the passing lanes, getting their hands in there, engaged on defenders, uh, on, excuse me, on offensive players, playing a lot more physical. You know, they score over 20 uh, points off of heat turnovers. And, 
Again, it just inherently leads to easier offense. This is a team that was 86th percentile in transition in the regular season. They're just 33rd percentile in the playoffs. That's a big difference that really matters, and it's reflected in the easy shots that we got. Um, they shot a whole hell of a lot better because it just it all works in tandem, and they were getting those easy transition looks. Shoot 10 of 29 in game one, 10 of 35 in game two, 11 of 42 in game three. In this one, they're 19 of 46 from behind the arc. Shout out Al Horford, man. It took you long enough. I knew you could do it, buddy. <laughs> three of 13 heading into this game, uh, three of six in the game tonight. And, you know, Carson, I always think it's cliche when we point to shooting and stuff from behind the arc as a key determinant for if a team's going to win, right? Because it's such an obvious key for every team in modern basketball. But it really is true, and even more true for a team like the Boston Celtics that is so reliant on the three ball. They were two of six in the regular season when making 10 or less threes. They were five and nine when making 11 or less threes. When they make 15 or more, they're 43 and 10. I mean, it is such a major key to victory for the Celtics with all of his floor spacing. And so they were a lot better defensively. They shot the hell out of the ball. Those are big keys for Boston. And we got great Jason Tatum. Finally, he shows up in the fourth quarter. Does not make a field goal through either of the three first fourth quarters of these uh, of this series. Uh, does not attempt a field goal. Gets hacked on some with three turnovers in game one. 0 of three in game two with two turnovers. Doesn't play at all in the fourth quarter because they were getting spanked so bad. But in this one, 25 second half points. He puts the game on ice and he doesn't let that door get back open, man. So... Uh, those are the big keys that the Celtics need every single night for victory, but they executed on them tonight. They were hungry, and they weren't going to go out with a sweep. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not pleased with Boston. I'm not happy. I'm still disappointed that they've let themselves dig themselves into this hole, but I, I would be a lot more disappointed if they just tucked their tails between their legs and went home tonight because I thought that was a very real possibility where they put their heads mm-hmm. down, we're going to go home. But Missoula rallied the troops tonight. He got them to play hard, and Jason Tatum showed up when the chips were down. Um, but it starts on the defensive end, and that's where I was most impressed with Boston tonight. It was definitely very good to see the Boston Celtics team that we all bet on, the team that you and I both picked to win this series, which, listen, they are not going to do. I don't think that they can reach this level consistently enough, but this was by far the most dialed in they've been on both ends of the floor. It was an awesome fourth quarter from Jason Tatum. Awesome pure shot making, first of all, like off the dribble, step backs. He just had everything in his bag going late in this one. He catches the ball at the free throw line to beat the zone early. I think it was the first possession after he subbed back in. Just a beautiful little fall away jumper. He had it all going, but he was making good reads as a playmaker too, right? Draws a double out of the post. Beautiful little bounce pass to Marcus Smart. Had another where he attracted a second defender. Got it back to Smart for a good look. From three, so he really dominated this game in the fourth quarter, which is great for a guy who has been, frankly, embarrassingly bad in a lot of clutch situations in this run. So that was absolutely huge. And then the effort was massive, dude. Like, this is the first game in this series in which. Miami has looked uncomfortable offensively for any stretch, really. Up to this point, it's pretty much been, okay, well, out of drop, we're able to sort of walk into pull-up jumpers we like. If it's Kyle Lowry or Gabe Vincent, and Jimmy is hunting switches willy-nilly, getting whatever he wants, and Jimmy's still got a lot of good looks in this game. But, right, oh man, what a great relocation by that shooter. All of a sudden, he's just wide open, and the Miami Heat are not going to miss a lot of open threes. Like, this game... You mentioned more turnovers forced. The Celtics also blocked like four jumpers 
in this second half, they were just flying around. I thought that Derek White in particular was playing with a special kind of energy in this game, and he had that one awesome block on Duncan Robinson. And what I've said about Derek White before is I think he might be the best rear-view contesting guard that I've ever seen. Like, if he's trailing out a pick-and-roll, dude, he just has insane ball instincts, an insane ability to apply back pressure. Did it in a meaningful spot here. So... They were a different team. They were a different team because they were engaged at a completely different level. Defensively, their best player actually looked like the best player on the floor, which his talent level dictates he should be certainly more often than he has, where I would say Jimmy's just outclassed him overall. And one of the best shooting teams in the league shot the hell out of the ball. And of course, you have to talk about that as a key swing factor in any game because it is so often in today's NBA, and especially for a team like Boston, as you said, that is so reliant on the drive and kick game, the pull-up three-point shooting from their star guys. And when you go from 29% from three over the first three games to 42% from deep in this game at a really high volume, I mean, they end up making 19 threes, just ridiculous Miami's not going to be able to beat them in a game like that. Really, nobody in the NBA is going to be able to beat them in a game like that. The Celtics' best punch is probably still the best in the league. We just obviously don't see it nearly enough. The one thing that does still trouble me for them, if you're talking about the long-shot prospect of them completing the full comeback, is that Jalen Brown, I just think, is pretty clearly not himself. And obviously, his perimeter shot making has been totally off throughout this series, right? He goes 7 of 23 in Game 2. He's 3 of 25 from deep in this series. And I just think his elbow is clearly affecting him. Like, we see him, first of all, actually grabbing his elbow. But he's also passing up open looks from the perimeter when he sees an opportunity to create even a decent look for another player because clearly he's not trusting his jump shot. And he goes 2 of 8 from outside 10 feet again in this game. So I give him props for finding a way to be decently effective, getting downhill, attacking in transition, especially that third quarter, which was a huge swing period where the Celtics get 10 points off Miami turnovers. Jalen has a couple of possessions in very short succession where he generates a turnover and then he's out in transition. His athleticism is still special. His finishing at the rim has been fine, but everything that requires touch has been really bad from him in this series. And I do think the elbow is affecting him. And I do not know how the Celtics win this series without great Jalen Brown. And I didn't even mention the free throw shooting, which has obviously been really bad, including he goes to the line that one time in this game and just clangs them both. So as if they needed another obstacle to overcome, I mean, that's been an obstacle, but I thought this was the game that like really obviously cemented. You see a four-game stretch like this, jump shooting from a guy who we have a specific moment to clearly point to and say, yeah, he probably got hurt there. That's an unfortunate thing for Boston to be dealing with on top of everything else. Yeah, 100%. And I mean... It's already hard for Boston to complete this comeback. It's never happened in the history of basketball. No team has ever yeah. come back from a 3-0 deficit. I think it's happened, they mentioned it on the broadcast, in the NHL, I think, four times. And then, of course, the infamous uh, Boston uh, Red Sox won in 2004 where they go on to win uh, the World Series. It would be unprecedented, and they can't overcome that, right? And I just think it's a little too hard for them with all these variables they have not been shooting the ball well. They have not been fully engaged defensively. It's going to take this kind of effort every night with great Jalen Brown and great Jason Tatum. Why do we say that? Mm -hmm. Well, not only because we haven't seen Jalen Brown, but the reason that Boston won this game was not only because they played great. I, this is not a great Miami Heat game. You know, uh, 
I want to give them a lot of credit for what they did to take away Jimmy in this game. It was very subtle, but uh, a lot of times on the weak side, they were sliding down that extra guy, um, and you've got two defenders on that right side where Jimmy can't swing a pass to either of those two guys for an open look. And so they were packing the pain a little more and giving him a little more attention, but also recovering really well on shooters in this game. And so I just thought they were there was a more conscientious effort to slow down Jimmy, and that's what you need to do every night. I also thought Bam was not nearly as physical as I wanted him to be. He only takes seven field goals in this game, a lot of them the mid-range jump shots. Uh, you know, I, Robert Williams has done a great job when he's been on the floor, and I don't want to undersell that aspect of this because, again, this is a great effort from Boston, and it's partly why these things weren't as effective. Bam, I just want to see just play a little harder, try to get to your looks a little more. You are this team's second best player. Impose yourself a little more. But then again, the role players don't shoot the ball well. Lowry, Shrews, Vincent, Mm -hmm. and Duncan Robinson go three for 18 in this game. Again, you talk about three-point dependency. These are probably the two biggest examples in the league right now of teams dependent on the perimeter jump shooting to win them games. Miami's just not going to win a game like that. Uh, I do want to give a big shout-out, man. Caleb Martin is a beast, dude. He is such a good role player. I love, that's one of my favorite things of the playoffs, man. And whether it's going to be consistent and carry over on into the regular season, um, you know, it, it, we'll, we'll see next season. But seeing the role players step up is one of my favorite things of the playoffs every year. You got Reggie Jackson a couple years ago, man. You got Roy Hachimura and Austin Reeves this year. And I think Caleb Martin has been the biggest role player that has stepped up and shown out. Uh, They said this on the broadcast tonight. Uh, I don't know what it changed to after this game. 19 points per game, Carson, is the second most in the last 40 years of the conference finals off the bench. Um, And that's what Caleb Martin has been doing this series. Just doing everything, man. Shooting the hell out of the ball, attacking closeouts, getting downhill, finishing disgustingly well at the rim, playing great defense. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what you need, man. When you have... No Tyler Hero. When you have no Victor Oladipo, when you were at a lack of dependable role, guys, that's what you need. You need somebody to step up. And Caleb Martin uh, does it again tonight, has done it throughout this series uh, and throughout these playoffs. But, you know, this wasn't a a great Heat game as well, and I think that's important to note that they just weren't, you know, firing on all cylinders as well, and that's what I (laughs) – it's going to take all these things coming together for Boston to even sniff this comeback. No doubt, and I really – think it's very unlikely, you mentioned it, an uncharacteristically bad shooting game from the Heat. Caleb Martin is so good, dude. And there's just a couple plays every game, like this one. He takes a beautiful charge on Jason Tatum. He has an awesome offensive rebound where he follows his own shot perfectly, kicks it back out to Jimmy, creates an open look from three that he knocks in. Like, it's in every phase, in every way, Caleb Martin is just playing winning basketball. And... The other guy who just continually has been so good is Gabe Vincent, obviously, with his perimeter shot making and with his playmaking. And hopefully his ankle injury isn't anything that is legitimately of concern because he has become hugely important to this team. Like he and Martin are clearly their third and fourth best players. But the Heat have been better consistently throughout this series. And yeah, you can say the Celtics have shot themselves in the foot in a lot of these situations, but they've been out-hustled, they've been out-shot, they've been out-schemed. The best player for the majority of the series has been on the Miami Heat. The best defensive player in this series has consistently been Bam Adebayo. So all these things come together, and one game of resurgence, one game of the Celtics looking like we know they're capable of, is just 
not nearly enough to change my outlook on this series now, given how real those tendencies, the bad tendencies from Boston are. So we'll see how game five plays out there. It's good to have more basketball, I will say, because the full week off, I don't know, that could have been a bit much. But there are some things that are too good to keep a secret, like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he ain't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's talk about these LeBron comments because he said after game four that he was going to think about if he wanted to keep playing. What's your take on that? Like, Do you think there's any chance that we actually see LeBron James retire right now? I don't think LeBron James retires. Uh, I do think LeBron's being honest about these comments, right? Like, I don't think that LeBron's BS, and this game took a massive toll on him. And it's, uh, I can't remember who mentioned it at the end of the broadcast. They were, or actually, no, it was in our group chat uh, where Peyton, a uh, friend of the show, Peyton T. Gallagher, was like, you know, that game took a lot out of him. And yeah, I can understand how at the end of that game, you're like, man, I just turned back the clock. I played my ass off for an entire game. I didn't step off the floor except, you know, early at the end of the first half to go to the locker room when we're up by 15. Like, yeah, I understand why at the end of that of a game like that where you fully exert yourself at age 38, at year 20, where you're saying, man, I really wonder if I still have more left in the tank. I mean, what is there else for LeBron to do, right? That's the thing that we reach at. But I think there's a couple ulterior motives here, Carson, that LeBron has in making these comments. First, it's a prod at the Lakers front office and management to say, hey guys, I don't know how much left I've got in the tank. Mm -hmm. Our title window is next year. It's immediate or it's the next two years. I don't know how much I've got left in the tank. If you want to win a title, make these moves in this offseason, I'm seriously considering this. So that's motive number one is 
hey, front office, hey, Mr. Palenka, we need you to make some moves and reload to open this title window for next season because I don't know how much I have left in the tank. And then the second motive, and this is where LeBron's a genius. The big narrative coming out of that game, Carson, was Anthony Davis was not great. You know, he's getting shit on in the media. We, You know, I, I took a couple shots at AD. You need AD to be better in a spot like that. With LeBron announcing that he's considering retirement, the headline goes from Anthony Davis was a big letdown in this game. He let down the team. The Lakers get sent home. Nobody's talking about that anymore. We're not even talking about the game. We're not even talking about basketball stuff. We're just talking about LeBron retiring. I mean, it was like that. It was an instant. And so in a in a PR manner, shout out you, LeBron. Like, I don't think that was I don't think that was calculated into his like I said, I think LeBron was being genuine and honest when he mm-hmm. said those things. But, you know, the 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 counter of that is that that's all that we're talking about today. We're, we're not focused on the game. We're thinking about LeBron talking about retirement. So it gets those eyes off um, in a second way. But I think there are motives, but I do think LeBron was being genuine. That being said, though, man, I think LeBron wants to play with Bronny. I still think that's a real thing that he wants to explore. That's going to take Bronny going through at least one year at USC and then declaring for the mm-hmm. draft. So I don't think he's going to retire. But like I said, I don't think this is just you know smoke. I don't think he's blowing smoke. I think he's going to consider it a little bit, but I expect LeBron to be back next season. I definitely do as well. And I will say... The one path in which I could see him pursuing quote-unquote retirement would be to increase his likelihood of playing with Bronny at a really high level, as you just laid out, an important goal for him, like taking a year off, which I've seen some people lay out there. Just preserve his body, right? Not have to go through the wear and tear of an 82-game season. Not that he does entirely, but you know <laughs> whatever he's going to do, a 60-game season. I still think that's unlikely, But I think there is no chance that he steps away from the game for good right now. He's just too good. Mm -hmm. And the Lakers are too good. Like, I don't know. Is he going to sit through the terrible Russ year last year and now have a roster that's rejuvenated and that was pretty close in the scheme of things, right? The second best team out West competitive in all four games against the best offense in the league and the best player alive. All of this with limited time to build continuity with still improving Austin Reeves and Rui Hachimura, these key pieces who obviously came along and came in so big without an opportunity to continue to refine this roster in the offseason, right? Say bye-bye D'Lo, try to bring in a couple quality wings from other situations. It just doesn't make sense to me. And there's a couple other things. I just can't see LeBron going out on a sweep. It doesn't matter how well he played. He knows how people talk about legacies. I think he really values that stuff, and that would be held against him until the end of time. We literally already having people saying that MJ wouldn't go out like that, even though he played an incredible game. And I also can't imagine him going away without a legitimate farewell tour. Again, I think he really cares about how he's remembered and... uh, that final opportunity to continue to build on the legacy to have those big time farewell moments. I mean, think of how much people still bring up Kobe dropping 60 in his last game. It was a meaningless game. Kobe was a bad NBA player that season, but it's a special immortal NBA moment. One of the greatest of all time. And this is LeBron James. Like he's going to have that farewell tour, no doubt about it. So I think there's no chance that he retires for good. And the bottom line, 
most important reason is because of what we just saw from the guy. I mean, he scored 40 <laughs> in a do-or-die spot. And yeah, they lost, obviously, but still looked unstoppable in terms of his ability to impose his strength around the rim out of the post obviously still genius playmaking his jumper was on which is going to just take his game up to another level and I think he's arguably the best 38 year old ever I probably lean Kareem because Kareem did some really meaningful things like 85 finals MVP at 38, comes back the next year's first team All-NBA and has a great playoff run at 86. They end up losing to the Rockets, but he put up 27 on the Twin Towers, Akeem and Ralph Sampson, like special production and efficiency. And Kareem's game just aged so beautifully because it was always about skill and grace and touch and just his sheer size, right? Like so much of his game was still unaffectable at that age as long as he still had some level of mobility but nobody's ever preserved their athleticism like LeBron James where he looks like the most unstoppable athlete on the court at any time and those two are in a class of their own like Carl Malone was still a very good basketball player John Stockton was still a very good basketball player some people talk about MJ and especially MJ before that knee injury that he had in the 0-2 season which I think is a little bit ridiculous. I mean, MJ was so inefficient on some not so good teams. Like, I just think if you're taking the MJ wouldn't go out like this stand, you are clearly firmly on one side of the debate because LeBron still at will in do or die spots can look like a top five player alive. And I think it's only him and Kareem at this age who have ever been able to say that. And I just don't know how you walk away at that stage. No, I think the athletic advantage is the difference between other guys and other 38-year-olds. I've never seen uh, a, a player LeBron's age be able to physically dominate the way he can at will. Again, man, I mean, you remember in this playoff run, going downhill on Dylan Brooks, one of the best perimeter defenders in the league. I know it's Dylan Brooks, back-to-back -back buckets. Game, you know, last game against the Nuggets when they mm -hmm. need it. Plays all 48 minutes at will. It does whatever he wants. I think MJ, I do want to give a shout-out. MJ was the one guy that I was going to point to that I think deserves to be in that conversation just because all the MJ's bag at that point, and I do think pre-knee injury he was better, all the MJ's bag at that point, what I just think makes it so impressive about him was that it was all tough shot-making at that point in his career. It was all turnarounds. It was all fades. It was all, you know, yeah. it was all jumper-oriented, which probably – that's that's the big distinction, right? That's why there's a big difference between them two. But I do want to give credit. It's hard, man, mostly jump shot oriented to put up 20 a night that old. But he's in a class of his own, man. He really is in a tier of his own, and I don't see a... I don't know, man. I don't I don't want to jinx it or anything. I don't see, like, a big drop-off coming, man. It's LeBron freaking James. Like, I mean, I can see him... Next season, I think he'll probably be below 25 just because, again, it'll be regular season. I think he'll have a roster around him that is a little more dependable throughout the regular season where he doesn't have to physically exert himself like that every game. I think he's going to miss some time because that's just what LeBron does at this age. So, mm -hmm. you know, I don't think he'll be, like, putting up, like, 25, you know, 8-8 eight and eight again next season. I think his numbers will be down. But I think come playoff time, the version that we got in this, these playoffs, while it might not be peak LeBron, it might not be take over and do it all 2016 to 2018 LeBron, you know, it's still dominant LeBron that at a moment's notice can 
physically impose himself by playing smart basketball, you know, those post-ups, those post-up touches mm-hmm. that create great looks aren't going anywhere. If his jumper's falling consistently again next season, like, again, I wouldn't predict a title for the Lakers, but they're L.A. They can extract more star power easily because of their market size. They can just make moves that other smaller market teams can't. And they've got a really solid foundation right now that if they just get a couple more crucial, key, valuable, versatile role players, I can see this team being really competitive again. So uh, I wouldn't bet it, but, I mean, LeBron is still going to be a beast, man. Do you think – let me ask you this. I mean, do you think Anthony Davis next season needs to be the number one definitively on offense and defense for this team to win a title? That's an interesting question. I really can't foresee him being a consistently great number one on offense right now. I mean, I think it would require a level of shot-making consistency that I'm not sure that he's capable of given the deterioration of his perimeter game and obviously the touch shots and the floaters and all that he was very good at most of this year, but he's extremely reliant on that. And I just don't know athletically that he can be the rim pressure or massive lob threat, unstoppable guy in that phase that he used to be. So the Lakers path to a title is going to be a long one, right? They're going to have to find a way to improve their supporting cast beyond just Reeves and Rui, who are really good. But I do think LeBron can still be the best player on the floor in any Game 7, in any closeout game, in any back-against-the-wall game. And so if you can get to a spot where you're good enough Mm -hmm. to be within arm's reach and have that LeBron just summoned, then I think that, yeah, anything would be possible because that's the distinction, right? Game 6 against the Warriors looks like a top-five player. Game 4 against the Nuggets looks like a top-five player. The difference is just all the games that we saw in between where maybe he's not always at peak engagement defensively. That's another thing that's insane for a 38-year-old, how good he was defensively in a lot of these meaningful games. But you're going to see the stretches where he's relying heavily on that jump shot, right? Pull-up situations, side pick-and-roll, let me just be a a catch-and-shooter. We're going to continue to see, I think, the opportunistic LeBron that defined this playoff run in a lot of ways. Picking his spots, transition, the occasional post-ups, again, being more of a catch-and-shooter. And so he's not going to dominate night tonight, obviously. But you say he's not going to put up 25-8-8. I don't know. He could take a step back and still do that. I mean, he was 29 a game this season while his jumper was off all year. And I don't know that he was the most motivated to be great every single game. Like, LeBron really can walk into incredibly productive <laughs> nights very consistently. And I think remains a top 15 player alive. What's so tough is how do you weight this guy who overall, if you look at the totality of this playoff run, I mean, it's 24, 10, and almost 7, right, with inconsistent defense. Overall, I would say a plus on that end. Solid efficiencies, jump shot, 26% from deep, but better than 58% true shooting. Like, that's probably not a top 10 player in today's NBA. But I want to ask you if you would rather have LeBron or some other guys around the league if we're talking about a playoff run next season. First of all, Anthony Davis, who would you rather have? 
I was just, I was literally just about to, this is insane uh, wavelength. I was just about to yeah, do yeah. the exact same prompt. Uh, LeBron or AD? <sighs> Man, that's tough. I mean, I just can't choose Anthony Davis after. I don't know if I can choose Anthony really? Davis after we saw his limitations offensively. I don't know, man. I, LeBron can propel an offense to be great in ways that Anthony Davis can't. And Anthony Davis can, you know, propel a defense to be great in the way that LeBron can't. I'm not going to be disingenuous. I ranked AD higher than LeBron going into this playoff run. I've consistently held that I thought Anthony Davis was the best player on the Lakers. I'll take AD, but I know AD's just going to—he's going to— Tick me off, man. What about you? I think it's AD for the entirety of a playoff run. I mean, it's exactly what we saw this year, right? He is the guy who propelled them through the first two series with his absurd level defensively. But if it comes to one do-or-die game where I know I'm going to get fully engaged, physical, downhill LeBron playing his ass off on both ends, I would still take LeBron in a one-game scenario. But over the entirety of a playoff run, I would rather have Anthony Davis I mean he is the best defensive player alive like people suddenly seemed shocked that I said that in reference <laughs> to his matchup with Jokic I'm like didn't we all agree about this a week and a half ago not being able to stop the most unstoppable offensive player alive suddenly changes that that doesn't make sense to me okay how about Devin Booker give me D book I I think I'm taking book I, I just this playoff run really cemented him for me mm -hmm. one is a is a top 10 guy I think and then just He's just an unstoppable scorer, man, and he's so well-rounded at this point, yeah. right? Like, I mean, you could point to where LeBron holds advantages. I think you're right, dude. I don't know if there's another player who I'd take in a Game 7. That's a different question that we could ask is, you know, in like well, a closeout game, who would you want? I think I'd always take LeBron, but... Over anyone? A, a lot of guys. I don't know about over anybody. Not over, I, not over Nikola Jokic. Well, no, I wouldn't take no, I wouldn't take him over Jokic. I'd probably take Jokic. Yeah. I'd take Steph. I'd take Jimmy, um, and then I might like get into somebody like LeBron. Giannis um, doesn't get a mention. I would not take Giannis. Wow. Um, yeah, I think I'd take Book just because it's marginal. Book's a good defender now. He's a really he's a legitimate playmaker. He's he's just an unstoppable scorer, man. We saw it in this run, dude. When Book's on, he can just propel you to being such a such a great offense and can just fill it up so you know I think that one's a little closer but I think I'd lean book I would take book I think he has evolved into not just a great highly versatile score of the basketball but an offensive engine like with the level of playmaking that we saw him reach especially in games three and four of this nugget series which coincided with his most astronomically great pull-up jump shooting ever i mean that was like a perfect offensive basketball player and of course he's not going to sustain 51 percent from deep like he did in this playoff run right so the 34 and 7 on 69 percent true shooting that's unsustainable but this was the best book that we've ever seen in the regular season he has grown as a playmaker he's the best version of himself defensively ever he is a guy who lives up to the moment who translates completely because of how great of a pure shot maker he is in so many different ways out of the post off the catch isolation pick and roll and uh, I think I would take book maybe the same game seven caveat could apply but honestly I don't know because the difference with AD is just that he can't command a game offensively mm -hmm. and it's tough to choose a guy in a do or die spot who can't do that whereas i know that book can do that okay how about jason tatum oh 
Man, that one's tough. I think I'm going Tatum, but I'm not I'm not confident in it, man. Tatum's Tatum's tough, dude. I just after what you said last show, man, I think you made a really good point about how Tatum can get in his head. And the best players are guys that just you know, I hate pointing to a guy like Dion Waiters, but that Dion Waiters mindset, man, I'm gonna keep shooting. I think that my next mm-hmm. shot's going in. I'm gonna keep coming. I'm not stopping. I'm that guy. And so, you know, when we get Tatum that says I'm humbly one of the best basketball players in the world, turns around and can get you a 50-piece. You know, if I get that guy consistently, hell yeah, I'm taking Tatum all day. If I can get the Tatum that we got tonight, hell yeah, I'm taking that all day. But Tatum really can get in his own head. He also just has so frustrating with a rock in his hand sometimes, man, driving crowded paints. Like, he got stripped a couple of times where there's just no lane. His handle's mm-hmm. just a little loose. Like, he can be frustrating in a lot of different ways. Man. That one's really tough. That one's the toughest one that you've said thus far. I think I'm barely going Tatum, but I could I could really go either way, I think. I'm going to go with the same answer that I had for AD. Tatum for the totality of a playoff run. I just think he is more consistently able to... I mean, he's not going to consistently be a very good top option. He's going to swing, but LeBron, I just think, don't even doesn't even have that gear right now to like take the physical burden of being that top option every night. He didn't totally have to this year because of some of the complimentary shot making that they got from Reeves and D'Lo. Obviously, D'Lo went away after those first two rounds, and we still didn't see consistently commanding every possession kind of LeBron. So... Tatum, we've seen even when his shot is off at various points throughout this playoff run, impact the game with his defense, his rebounding, his playmaking. I just think he's more consistently a top 10 kind of guy than LeBron, even though consistency is not the word that I would normally use to describe Jason Tatum. But in a one-game setting, I would just take LeBron. I think his Mm -hmm. level of physicality and playmaking that he can reach is more valuable than Jason liable to go 4 of 16 and fall into all of his worst tendencies as a playmaker and pull up jump shooter Tatum okay last one that I have down and feel free to fire any others that you want but I think this one might be the most surprising for people here asked what about SGA yeah I'm taking SGA that one for me is that one for me is actually not Mm -hmm. as close I might take SGA over Tatum if I'm keeping it a stack dude and I know that might blow a lot of people away just because Tatum's more consistently been on the winning team. He's more consistently been mm-hmm. in the MVP conversation. But I also don't feel like, you know, I thought J.J. Redick made a really good point on first take where he was talking about how uh, the NBA as a league entirely has done a poor job of, you know, marketing itself and getting, you know, games out to where people are seeing these guys, you know, where you have so many people in the media, which I think is disingenuine if you're covering the league to have said, this is my first time watching Nikola Jokic. You should not be talking basketball if that's the case in this run. But that being said, it does speak to how, yeah, some people haven't even watched the game. I don't know how much people have been watching SGA. I just think SGA is one of the best singular offensive engines in basketball and one of the most unstoppable scorers on the planet. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm very high on SGA, dude. The way he gets into the lane, he's also really physical, bumps guys off the line, stays on his angles. He's a really physical ball handler, and you don't see that too often. He's a great pull-up jump shooter. SGA's the shit, dude. I'm a, I'm a big SGA yeah. guy. Um, so I'm, yeah. I, that one's a little actually. That one's, that one's probably a little further for me. I, I would really favor SGA. I would take SGA too. And hilariously, I feel like he has risen probably in the player rankings in the playoffs, <laughs> despite yeah. not being a part of it. 
just because you see the flaws again with Jason Tatum, the decision-making, the reliance on the difficult shot-making, you see in Anthony Davis's offensive limitations, Joel Embiid's ability to break down as a jump shooter, his reliance on getting in line. And I'm not saying that SGA specifically passed any of those guys, but the gap doesn't seem quite as large, right? I think he clearly does have to be higher than a guy like Donovan Mitchell, who is not the same level of decision maker, who is not the same level of defender, who is more prone to those stretches where he just becomes a black hole offensively and will just go 15 pull-up threes in a game no matter what. I don't know who stops SGA, and I'm hesitant to elevate anybody too far literally without ever seeing them on the playoff stage as the guy. Like, we've seen SGA in the playoffs twice, but not in his current form whatsoever. But I do think he has skills that translate incredibly well. Like, if you think about what makes Jimmy great, right? Mm -hmm. Jimmy can get into the lane at will, okay? We've talked about Gets a switch with a big. They have to concede too much ground. He can kill you with his mid-range pull-up game. Guards, he's too big, too strong for. He's going to get there. His touch shot making is good. SGA is unstoppable getting into that lane. He's too shifty. He's too slithery. He's got great size. Unbelievable touch. And then he also has that elite short mid-range game where he can just take the bump and then kill you with a a shorter pull-up or he has that awesome little step back from like 12 to 15 feet. And the ability to kill you in the paint translates very well. Look at Jimmy. Look at Jokic. Look at LeBron when it comes to do-or-die spots. Like, those guys just work. And SGA was a wildly efficient 30-plus point-per-game scorer this year who has those traits that I really value. So, yeah. I think if you're looking at the guys who climb, it's Jimmy yet again. It's book for what he did. And ironically, maybe it's SGA just because I don't think that he has flaws that can be exposed like some of these other guys. And we'll have to wait to see because yeah. that is a, you know, a real thing. But again, I, I want to preface this. You know, the Thunder were expected to win 23 games this year. They made a playoff push, dude. Yeah. Like credit to all the guys around SGA too, but they're not anything without Shea, man. Shea is... Shay's the man. I think a lot of people need to watch some of his game. I had one that you didn't go to. Mm. This is the first one that I came up with. And maybe this is an egregious one. Would you rather have LeBron or Joel Embiid? I thought you were going to say Grant Williams. By the way, not a great day for your anti-Grant Williams takes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to hear it, buddy. That's a good question. I would rather have Joel Embiid for a playoff run because I think even in like the worst-case scenario offensively, where he's not making good reads, his jumper's off. We saw in this run how he was able to dominate defensively, but I think for one game I would rather have LeBron James. I think I'd rather have LeBron for a playoff run, dude. Maybe that's really? asinine. I just I mean, I feel like I don't know, man. I, I I feel like LeBron can set a little too much for his jump shot, and that's like, you know, his fatal flaw if he's not getting downhill and being physically imposing, but just like I just I thought we saw Joel Embiid disappear a little more than we saw LeBron even disappear. And, like, I know LeBron's, like, counting numbers weren't great. I would uh, argue. Embiid's were decent, even though he was inefficient. I feel you like. Think, you think LeBron disappeared more? Well, I mean, it's different situations because Embiid had to be more consistently great, and he wasn't. A lot of LeBron's eh games, you kind of look at and you go, all right, well, the Lakers were the better team. For the first two rounds, most of the time they were able to get away without having great bronze. So it's tough to be like, oh man, he needed to be better. Whereas Embiid, they always needed to be really good. 
and he just wasn't consistently enough. I came into this playoff run as low as anybody on Embiid, who I do think is incredible, but I mean, every issue that I highlighted with him that I laid out, body breaking down, jump shot breaking down, decision making, failing him, all of those things very much came up short for him in this playoff run, but I don't know. Dealing with an injury, I just think he's more consistently able to carry the load of a top offensive option, and I'm not going to sit here and sing Embiid's praises in the playoffs because Embiid is consistently underachieved and sucked in the playoffs. But I also don't want to pretend that LeBron is like coming out here every night playing as a number one, playing as a top five kind of guy because he just hasn't. And I think Embiid, although he has real playoff flaws, this year was about as bad as it can get for him. That's fair. And maybe I'm overzealous with that. Um, I just... I don't know. Embiid was just really frustrating in this playoff run. Uh, So settle it, man. LeBron or Batman? LeBron or Grant Williams when he's fully engaged? Give me Grant. If Grant's talking his shit, I don't think anybody can stop him. (laughs) Yeah, again, with the Embiid thing, that's why I take LeBron for one game. I do, actually, because we didn't in the earlier segment. I do want to give Grant Williams credit. A lot of effort, a lot of hustle, a lot of heart when nobody else was out there running and... Uh, he hit his open jump shots today, man. That's all you can ask for Grant Williams. So the slander, I'll wait until the Celtics get eliminated, and then we'll we'll, we'll have the Grant Williams uh, okay. slander slowly escalate. All right. Well, I'm very excited for that. So there you have it, everybody. A little bit of Celtics heat talk, a little bit of LeBron talk, and look, no matter what you think of our decisions on any of those LeBron head-to-heads, it's insane that he's in this conversation at 38 years old and, again, effectively unprecedented in the history of this game. So if you enjoyed this show, the good news is we'll be back soon after Game 5 of Heat Celtics. You can catch the show on YouTube, the volume page. You can listen to it across audio platforms. And you can follow us across social media, TikTok at Nerd Sessions, where we're most consistent with our trivia content. Instagram is the same handle, Twitter at nerd underscore sesh, and you can join our Discord if you want to talk basketball, football with us at any time, trying to continue to build that community. So with that, as always, I've been Carson Brabber. I've been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. 
Heck yeah. And some waves so we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.